The Chris Sheeran Show, only on YesNetwork.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another edition of The Chris Sheeran Show here on YesNetwork.com. It's at Doug Williams, yes, and at Chris Sheeran, yes, on the Twitter. Don't forget you could subscribe to The Chris Sheeran Show by simply going to iTunes, looking us up, and clicking subscribe. Or you could just listen to this at your leisure on YesNetwork.com. Now, I want everybody to sit back, close your eyes, and think about the biggest microscope that you could ever imagine okay that's basically what every new york athlete has to deal with in their time in this city we have the best press corps uh that's basically going to ask you the same question about a hundred times until they get the answer that you want in every sport it's 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 above average well above average that's why they're in new york because they are the best okay here's the problem with Geno Smith and the Jets organization, which, you know, for lack of a better word, can we can we call them something other than an organization? Because an organization should be organized. And the Jets right now are not organized. I'm not even a Jet fan and I'm fired up. Fired up. Geno Smith. This guy doesn't need a microscope to be under to see his baloney that goes on week to week. And I've defended this kid. Defended him. You know, they threw him to the Wolves last year. Mark Sanchez gets hurt. Who knows if Mark Sanchez doesn't get hurt when Gino would have eventually replaced him because everybody wanted Sanchez out of here. They were running him out. Now everybody wants Gino Smith out. Now, I heard Terry Bradshaw on the radio just before. He doesn't want to give up on Gino just yet, and he doesn't, really dis- he doesn't agree with the decision to go with Michael Vick from a week, you know, Rex Ryan said in his press conference, this is a week-to-week thing. So Michael Vick is going to play against the Chiefs. Then they'll reevaluate and see who's going to play the week after that. That's asinine. It's asinine. You're 1-7. and seven. Where are you going? Where are you going? If you think Michael, uh, Geno Smith is the quarterback of the future for you, he's got to be playing. So if you read between the lines here, they're done with this guy. Because if they still wanted to evaluate him, he would be playing in Kansas City against the Chiefs. I think the best option at quarterback for the Jets is Matt Sims. I really do. Um, Geno Smith has proven. Are you going anywhere with Michael Vick? No. No, you're not. You're not. But he gives your team a better chance to win. Than Geno Smith, I know that I know that necessarily winning doesn't even matter if you're the Jets. Maybe you're even better off if you tank and get the first pick in the draft. But at the same time, Chris, you know they are one and seven. Theoretically, they still have the chance of going nine and seven. That's just the way it works. You know, you have eight games left. You can win all eight. It's anything is possible. So, I think you go out there. You you're in Kansas City. The Jets are going to lose this game anyway, but. You throw Michael Vick out there because he's the proven NFL quarterback. And the thing about Geno Smith and why I would play Sims over him is because he's proven again and again and again that not only is he inept at quarterback and cannot make it work. He threw three picks before he could even, you know, he had more picks than than completions uh, last week. Uh, he's also just killing himself off the field. He comes out in interviews this week and said, yeah, I just went on with my day after they named Michael Vick the quarterback. How do you do that? There, That's where, if if you could imagine a ribbon connecting me and Geno Smith together, that's (laughs) where the scissors came out, and that was it. The umbilical cord was cut. I cannot defend a guy who has no heart. This guy has no heart, and that statement proves that he has no heart. If I was benched, if any competitor 
in any sport was benched, they wouldn't just quote-unquote go on with their day. And if you say that in New York, you're nailing yourself to the cross. You are crucifying yourself. You don't need the Romans. You don't need them. You're taking the hammer. You're taking the nails. You're putting yourself on the cross. You are done. And at this point, he's gone after the fans. He's gone after the media. And he's done everything himself. He's missed meetings. He's done everything that you can imagine that you don't want to do as a young quarterback in the NFL. And by the way, I'm always the first person to make the point that we are so impatient as a society, especially in New York, especially with quarterbacks. We always want the sexy new face. We always want the, the immediate star out of college. The, or we want the seventh-round pick, Tom Brady, to be a superstar. And we're so impatient, we a lot of times don't even wait for it to happen. In this case, Chris, there are no good quarterbacks on this team. Geno Smith is not a good quarterback. Michael Vick is not a good quarterback quarterback. It's not our impatience. It's not our expectations. It's not what he's surrounded by. These two guys both stink. <laughs> they are bad at their jobs. It is not about their wide receivers. You go and get Eric Decker. You go and get Percy Harvin. You go and get Chris Johnson. You have Chris Ivory. Let's not talk about the weapons anymore. Let's not talk about New York City anymore and the media. It is about these two guys not being good at their jobs. Doug just basically took a big deep breath and blew over my house of cards for defending <laughs> Geno Smith the past two months, basically. It is actually funny because every week we have this discussion. And you still have defended him. I did yeah. until today. And it was because of what he said. In the, he just doesn't get it. Now, Bradshaw, Terry Bradshaw was on the radio earlier uh, today as we taped this. And he said he wasn't done with Geno Smith. And he doesn't think he's actually done yet. He said he handled the media poorly in, in the beginning of his career. He said, here's the factor. Here are the factors that are going to determine whether Geno Smith is a successful NFL quarterback down the stretch or he's out of the league uh, next year or the year after that. If he has... The stuff between his ears to know the game and get better and get to meetings and that thing beating in his chest, if he realizes that he has a heart, those two things, he said, are going to be the determining factors is if this kid is going to be successful because Bradshaw said that's what he came to the conclusion of. Okay, I got to get smarter. I got to deal with the media better and I got to play better on the field. And he did that. And what, four Super Bowls later, <laughs> he's revered. He's, they're basically, I don't know if there's a statue of him in Pittsburgh yet. I have no idea, but there will be at some point. There will be. I mean, the guy is revered, not just by Steeler fans, but by NFL fans. He's, a, he's, he's the lovable idiot, but he's not an idiot by any stretch of the imagination. But I mean, there's just no defending the Jets anymore. None. And then you have, let's talk about this for a second. You brought this up downstairs. I want you to make the point because it was your point and it was tremendous. And then we're going to have a little discussion about it. But go ahead, Doug. I just think there's an interesting parallel and comparison between what happened with the New York Rangers last night and what happened yesterday with the New York Jets, especially uh, the GM John Idzik's press conference. Um, basically, John Idzik came out and talked about Jet Nation, whatever that is, and talked <laughs> about how for some strange reason – he thought everything was okay, that they were going through this together. He was not uh, complimentary of his own work, but he still wanted there to be some sort of silver lining of positivity, and it made no sense to anybody. And I don't even think a GPS can help the Jets. No. Because they're that lost. Right. So they're totally lost. And and their GM comes out and, and talks about Jet Nation, and, and I don't know Jet what. Jet Nation? Yeah, what is that? Anyway, um, so last night. The Rangers are playing the Wild at home. They, they get off to the worst 
possible start you can imagine. They're down 3 nothing. They lose Chris Kreider for the game, game misconduct penalty. They lose John Moore, game misconduct penalty. They're killing off 10, 15 minutes of power plays, and they're down uh, three goals going into the third period. And it's funny because a lot of times in sports, all we hear about are bad coaches. It's happening with Rex Ryan. Uh, it happened with Woodson on the Knicks. Do you fire them midseason? You know, they don't seem to get this team fired up. The talent is there, but the players don't seem motivated. We always talk about how coaches should be fired. But uh, something Elaine Vigneault did last night between the periods, all we know, the facts are the facts. The players were in the locker room, and he was in the locker room. And these guys came out last night and won the game 5-4. to four. I've never seen effort like that in my life from players. I mean, they were flying around the ice, doing everything possible, laying their bodies on the line to win the game at home in front of that crowd. And they came out after the game and they said that. We were not going to lose this game at home. We would never allow it. And what it made me think about was, Elaine Vigneault has said this in the past. He said about JT Miller, who's a young player for the Rangers, yeah, he's been stinking, so we're going to send him down. It's called being honest. It's the difference between having an honest aura around your team about how the coach is going to go in front of the media and tell the truth. That filters down to the players. They know that if they don't produce... Their coach is going to go tell the truth to the media. Do you think, uh, you know, Chris Johnson is worried that John Isaac is going to come out and say, yeah, I shouldn't have signed him. He's been, he's been stinking up the place. We should probably release him, but it wouldn't uh, end up well for our cap. Well, the power in football that coaches and GMs have is that you can cut somebody. You can make an yeah. example out of somebody. And they're not even doing that. No. But it's it's you know no it one is? no one is held accountable in that locker room. Nobody. It's just Gino's fault, and that's it. It's a blanket statement. It's the quarterback's fault. He threw three interceptions in the first quarter. That's it. No, it's not. This great defense that Rex Ryan proclaims that he has. Where was it against Buffalo? And I know that they turned the ball over six times. I know that's brutal to to, to put a defense out there that much on a field and try to stop the Bills. But Kyle Orton has that kind of game? I mean, c- come on. Kyle Orton is not Peyton Manning. Kyle Orton is not Joe Montana. And, and, and again, w- w- it's like a broken record. $20 million under the cap until they got Harvin for this year. Okay? W- w- where are the D-backs? W- where were they? W- w- where were they? Yeah. And, 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 and Antonio Cromartie is on the Cardinals. And, and the Cardinals are what? Six and one? Yeah, a big physical corner they could have resigned, didn't you do it. You can't make it up. And I don't know. I just think there's a parallel there to be uh, had. It's it's the difference between uh, good and bad coaching. It's the difference between mental and physical toughness. And it's and the difference management. between, yeah, management. Just just being honest with the media. I mean, it, it, it's amazing how if you listen to Rex Ryan and John Idzik every week, it's it's either that fake, like, well, we're really bummed out. You know, I've been better. He always, you know, he'll come on the K show and they'll say, how you doing? And he says, I've been better. Well, it, it, other than those words, they're meaningless. Of, in New York, that attitude, that defeatist attitude, how does he still have a job? Well, he says, he, he'll say it first. Yeah, yeah, I'm not doing great. How you is know, I'm Eeyore running the New York Jets? Yeah. <laughs> I don't get it. I'm okay. Well, then by the end of the interview, though, he's spewing positivity in our face about how they still have a chance to win next week. We can go on a run here. one and seven. And somebody posted a picture of Michael Vick and Gino together, and it's the Jets record. (laughs) One and seven, their numbers. I got a chuckle out of that. Um, But I, I... 
the press conferences yesterday, just even not being a Jet fan, you sat there just with your mouth open like, what? <laughs> and then when they asked Ryan about you know the quarterback situation and it, was it his call to, to make the quarterback switch, it's an organizational decision. Excuse me for a second, okay? Let me put you in the position of being a head coach in the NFL. If you are not allowed to make decisions with personnel during a game on the field, are you not busting down the door to the GM's office or the owner's office and saying, if I can't make these decisions, I can't be here. Peace out. I'm done. It's the only fun, and, and, and the only fun thing about being a coach is being a coach. Is, is being able to make decisions. the damn decisions. And how, how, how fun must it be for Rex Ryan to have to be a puppet on the sideline and then have to face the media every week? I mean, I don't mean to make it seem like he's a victim here. They have castrated this guy. We've talked about this before. When he first took over the Jets with Mike Tannenbaum, Rex Ryan's press conferences were must-see TV. This is a beaten, broken and castrated man. He is up there. He can't be Rex. He can't be that guy anymore. He is now, as Doug said, a puppet for a GM that probably didn't want him as the head coach, which again is where this trickle-down effect starts. So you have to think, and, and Idzik says, I've been a part of this plan before. The plan works. Now, listen, he was part of the Buccaneers. Uh, he wasn't their GM when they won the Super Bowl in 2002. He was part of the Cardinals when Kurt Warner took them to the NFC title game and beat the Eagles and went to the Super Bowl, lost to the Steelers in 2008. Uh, and he was also his last team, the Seattle Seahawks, which he helped manage. They won the Super Bowl last year. So I get why the Jets brought this guy in. I do. What I don't get is if you bring in a new GM, how do you keep your old coach? How? And I know the Giants did it. I know, you know, Jerry Reese hasn't picked a new head coach since he's been there. Um, But you can call the Giants an organization because Reese was homegrown. Reese didn't come from somewhere else. Reese was in the Giants organization. He was promoted. He already had a relationship with Tom Coughlin. Giants are a bad example. Okay? But still, they have the organization in place. And look... I'm a realist, okay? I'm a Giant fan. Doug is too. We're not going to sit here and say the Giants have a great shot at going to the postseason this year. They don't. They don't. They've got the Colts. They've got the the Seahawks at Seattle. Then the 49ers. That's a tough three-game stretch. Oh, my goodness, is that tough. So the Giants aren't in – they're in a better position than the Jets are organizationally. But this season, I don't think Reese and Coughlin have a decent shot at being back next year because the Mara family doesn't like losing too much. The Mara family likes being in the postseason. And keep in mind, Chris, I mean I know that everyone knows quarterbacks are important. But Colt McCoy last night on Monday Night Football, he's better than any of the Jets quarterbacks, by the way. How about this? You go out and you win a game like that, that's something – that Geno Smith and Michael Vick could not have done. How about this? Okay. Colt McCoy and Brandon Whedon were the two quarterbacks in Cleveland in 2012. Whedon supplanted McCoy as the starter. McCoy was the third stringer. And they both played extremely well 
on national television last night. Romo goes down. Whedon goes in for the Cowboys, leads them on a touchdown drive right after McCoy drives the Redskins down the field, gives them a 17-10 lead. Uh, Whedon comes back, ties it up at 17. The Redskins win the game in overtime, of course, on the Kai Forbath field goal. And I got to tell you, since you brought up the Cowboys or went that way, I, I have, you brought up the Colt McCoy, but it brings the Cowboys along. Just a quick message to Cowboy fans. Because I have a lot of Cowboy fan friends, and my Facebook timeline is riddled with Cowboy stuff after every win. It was awfully quiet yesterday and this morning. And they always want to get right on top of the Giants. And as I said on Facebook this morning, Cowboy fans, you have a shot. If Romo isn't hurt and he comes back and his back is fine, you can make it back to the promised land. But let me remind you of a couple of things. 2007, remember when your quarterback and your tight end went to Mexico? I think it was with Jessica Simpson, came back. What happened? Giants beat them. Giants beat the Packers. Giants beat the Patriots. Super Bowl winning team. 2007. 2011, same thing. Didn't beat you because you weren't in the playoffs. You haven't won a Super Bowl since Bill Clinton's first year or first term in office. First term. And since 1996, you've won one playoff game. One. A wild card game. Cowboy fans, pipe down. I wasn't going in that direction, <laughs> uh, but. I just had to say it. What I meant to say was. Had to say it. The Jets, John Idzik must have been watching that Monday Night Football game last night and thinking, these backups they're bringing in like must be nice because these guys are better than any option I have. <laughs> you can't win in the National Football League without a good quarterback. So Head we can seat. talk about how many issues the Jets have, and believe me, they, they have plenty. But the real issue is the fact that they are inept at the quarterback position and will be for the foreseeable, foreseeable future because you can talk about Jameis Winston all you want, but... He'd be perfect yeah. with the Jets yeah. because Bring he'd, him to New York. he'd he'd be <laughs> wouldn't he happens. make a nice addition to their quote Absolutely. organization? Absolutely, I can't wait. <laughs> I That'd cannot wait. But the Raiders might have first crack, and yeah, they might. You know that Jamarcus Russell train is just waiting to happen once again. The Raiders already have a better quarterback than the Jets, though. Derek Carr. And well, they they're high on him too, so they might not go quarterback in the draft. Everything they say, even though they haven't had a win yet, they they're they're fully behind Carr. Uh, let me rewind a second too, and you brought up the quarterback situation. What was the, you know, listen, in those, on those three teams that Idzik was a part of a Super Bowl winning team, the Buccaneers had Brad Johnson, Wiley veteran, not something, you know, he's not like in the top, who knows, 50, 7,500 quarterbacks of all time, but he led the Bucs to a Super Bowl and he was a veteran. He was around long enough to get them to that win and he did it. Kurt Warner was the quarterback of the Cardinals. Um, that guy was another big-time MVP, franchise-type quarterback. They got them to the Super Bowl. They lost to the Steelers, of course. It was like, well, who was it again? With the catch in the end zone, Santonio San Holmes with the game-winning catch for the Steelers to win that one. An unbelievable Super Bowl between the Cardinals and the Steelers. And then the last one, uh, last team he was involved with, who was their quarterback? Russell Wilson. It goes to your point. You need a quarterback. Now, look, you can't look back at the 2013 draft unless Mike Glennon <laughs> starts to be, you know, Brett Favre or Drew Brees. Then, you know, Idzik is going to look like a, an idiot because he took Geno Smith 
and you didn't take Mike Glennon, but that's not going to happen. It, it wasn't a big quarterback draft. Um, and going back to Bleacher Report, I know hindsight is always twenty twenty, but I read the the 2013 draft reviews, and Geno Smith was given an A- minus by Bleacher Report. Can't really blame him. I thought so, too. I thought maybe it would work. <laughs> I'm not going to sit here and say I didn't think it would. I did. But my goodness, I mean, this is 20 minutes on the Jets for crying. And the, Thank God for the Jets. You know, the Yankees are done. Thank God for the Jets. Thank God for them. Well, I will say the point that people make. You are the wind beneath our podcast wings. You, you and I are making the same argument, which is you need a quarterback, right? And the point people make is, well, Trent Dilfer won a Super Bowl. And look at uh, the Cardinals. They have Carson Palmer. You can be decent, and your team surrounding you can be great, and you can win a Super Bowl. You're, you can have a decent quarterback, a game manager, and win the Super Bowl. I think Bowl. we yes, could have handed to Priest homes and then let the defense take over right. in 2001 that game too. but guys <laughs> Geno Smith isn't as good as Trent Dilfer except that fact Carson Palmer yeah. is two yeah. times the quarterback that Mike Vick and Geno Smith are combined I mean people just are looking at Michael Vick he he doesn't win anymore let's be real he doesn't he, but when he, his last couple of years in Philly I mean you could tell he was on his way out, and I just had this discussion uh, earlier today with someone, and I said, look, think about a car. Think about – I forget when Vic came into the league. He's 34 years old, okay, so maybe 12, 13 years ago. Think about a car that you've owned for 13 years and all the miles on it and maybe a couple accidents, but you still kept trudging along with it. Does that car run the same as it did when you picked it up off the lot? No. Michael Vick's got a lot of miles on his body. He started showing that his last couple years in Philly. He was a turnover machine. And look at what he did on Sunday for crying out loud. Did he give the Jets a better chance to win? Absolutely. But that's not saying a lot when you have Geno Smith. And then they come out with this shoulder injury that he had on the last tackle. I mean, it's just so... It gives you the blank chills. I'm not going to say it. It starts with a D. (laughs) But it's just like you watch those press conferences yesterday and the 19-minute written preamble by Idzik before he took questions. I read somewhere on Twitter it sounded like he was reading a Dr. Seuss book. Oh, Oh, the places you'll go. (laughs) Right out the door. I mean, listen, the guy, he's not dumb. He went to Dartmouth. Um... He's not dumb. <laughs> He's not. He's an Ivy Leaguer. But that doesn't mean you can run a football team. It doesn't mean you can be a GM. And New York isn't the place to get your first GM job. I, 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 again, going back to what I said earlier, I get why the Jets went in his direction because he's been a part of successful teams throughout his years in the NFL. He's put his time in. But my goodness. You need somebody who's done it. You need somebody who who understands that. And listen, putting the fans aside for a second, I know a lot of fans that are Jet I know a lot of people that are Jet fans. I struggle with them. You know, it used to be fun in high school poking fun at them. But now I actually have a heart (laughs) and I feel bad. I do. You care for their well-being. I do. My friends go Absolutely. Every week, you know, you just wait for it on Facebook or Twitter. Same old Jets. You could book it. (laughs) I mean, 
1969. Think about that. Now, Eagles fans, you really can't talk because you haven't won anything ever. Just had to put that in there. I put yeah. the Cowboys. No, I'm down. always in favor. I had to put the Cowboys down. I had to throw the Eagles in there under the bus too. But you know, they have a shot too. They're scary. You know, the NFC, in my estimation, is wide open. But getting back to our lovable losers, I, I don't know how you fix it. Because, you know, do do you draft Jameis Winston this year? Do you do you roll the dice with that kid and everything that he's going through down at Florida State now? Bring him to New York. That's usually a good oh, idea. Oh God! Remember that microscope? You don't need one for him either. <laughs> he walks around with a big old magnifying glass over himself. And bringing him into this situation, you know, Terry Bradshaw said something that really stuck with me too. And I got to give him credit. He said, they asked him, uh, Evan and Joe, asked him if he wanted to be the GM of the Jets. And after about five, ten seconds of laughter, he said, I'm a rancher. (laughs) You know, I'm not coming out of the wide open spaces to go and do that. But he said, "I, I will tell you this. If I was in that sort of position as a talent evaluator, if there were two guys sitting next to each other, and one guy, basically, I'll paraphrase, put it in baseball. If he was a five-tool player and had everything, and then the ne- guy next to him maybe didn't have the size, maybe didn't have the speed, but had the motor and the heart and the determination and the drive, I'm taking that guy over the talent guy because I know I'm going to get more out of the guy with the heart and drive and everything else. He might be a little smaller, but I know I'm going to get the most out of him. Because he's going to have to prove it every week. Now, do you always use that rationale? Of course not. You can't. You always you have to take you have to gamble on a, a on a quote unquote college star every once in or a while. Or else you have a team full of Rudies, which would be great. But which would be great, but you're not going to win a lot of games. Right. You have to find that mix. You know, think about the '96 Yankees. They had that mix. They had the core of the homegrown guys, and they had extremely experienced uh, veterans around them, people that Derek Jeter, Jorge Posada, Andy Pettit, and Mariano Rivera could learn from. You know, think about how Mo talks about John Wetland. He loves that guy. And, you know, Wetland was only around for, what, two years, three years with Mo, if you want to count 95. But he said he learned a great deal from Wetland. And, I mean, God, again, I don't know. Jet fans, I'm sorry. But if, if, even if I was a doctor, if I went to med school and you came in and you had the jets, I would not know how <laughs> to prescribe medication for you. I just don't know what I would do for you. I don't know what I would do for this team. But I, this is the one thing I do know. You know, Woody Johnson wants to win. He always says it. He has a ton of money. He needs to go in his office Count to 10, do a little goose fraba, all right? A little anger management, calm it down a little bit, sit back in his chair, put his feet up, and I think he has to hit the orange reset button on a TRS-80. I think that's the only way that this gets fixed because you talk about losing the players by Rex in the locker room. I think that goes up too. I think that goes to the GM because the players that are in there, the Sheldon Richardsons, uh, the Muhammad Wilkerson's, you know, guys that if you surround them with talent on that defense, they do have something special. But there are so many holes. So many, Doug. I, I, and, and it's the thing that you brought up. It's that 
you know, positivity. And you don't know where you're one in seven. Start telling the truth. It's an organizational decision. Oh my God. Does that reek? I mean, it's the worst BO I've ever smelled in my life. And I was watching it on TV and I can smell it. It's terrible. They have to start cleaning up. And I'm banging again, this time on my chair. They do. They have to start cleaning up. And it starts with Idzik and Rex. They got to go. I think the whole staff has to go. You have to start over. You got to get a GM in here. I mean, look at, look at this past year's draft by Idzik. I think he's got the first two or three on the team out of like 10. And the rest, I don't even think are in the league. I don't even think they're on anybody's practice squad. That's terrible. Yeah. That's an, that's supposed to be your evaluator of talent. Now look, four, five, six, seven, you know, there's going to be some swings and misses. But not four through seven or three through seven. You should have one of your late rounders doing something. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned it earlier. There's a lack of accountability. You're and telling if there, me you can't be on special teams. And if there's one, like, there are a lot of storylines and, and mindsets and, and things like that that work with New Yorkers, right? And, and and one of them is the fact that if you're bad at your job, you don't deserve to have it. And that if, you, you know, you need to have accountability. And, um, you know, I, this is a weird comparison, but um, when Chase Headley uh, got acquired by the Yankees, he, he hit that walk-off home run, and Meredith uh, Morakovitz interviewed him on the field. He said, I'm anxious to do my job. That's what I'm here for, to do my job. That sentiment is really half of what you need in New York. If you can do your job and that's what you're about, nothing else, then you're going to be okay, chances are. Uh, and and nobody, whether it's Idzik, Rex Ryan, Geno Smith, no one's doing their job. And, and if the Jets organization, as we put the quotes around it, has any accountability whatsoever, they should all lose them. I mean, that's the bottom line, Chris. You know, you go out to Kansas City this week, and, you know, they say Michael Vick gives you the best opportunity to win. If you're done with Geno Smith, you know, and I've heard some talk about Matt Sims. He's on the practice squad. They did cut him before the season. They waived him. And none of the other 31 teams picked him up on the waiver wire. That should tell you something about Matt Sims. He he does have a strong arm. Um, I don't think if the Jets didn't think he had any kind of ability, I don't think he'd be on the practice squad. People like to say it's because of his last name, but I, I tend to differ. I, I think Matt has more talent than Chris did, even Chris, even though Chris – was the starting quarterback for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in a longer career so far than Matt. I think Matt had better tools. I think we need to at least, I think the fans need to at least see. And I know it might be stupid to throw him out there, especially in this situation, but maybe it'll light a spark. You know, I talked about that pilot light with my nephew in in the final thoughts uh, last week. You know, that's how I look at athletes. Um, and that's how you look at the Rangers last night. I, and I'm, I go back to that nice little callback that Doug brought up. You know, Elaine Vigneault probably went into that uh, locker room after that second horn and took, I don't know how he did it. I don't know what he did, but he knows how to push buttons. And he basically went around that locker room and probably poured gas onto every one of those pilot lights. And in the third period, it showed. Because the Rangers went out there 
and they were being manhandled for two periods. They looked lost. They looked like they forgot how to play hockey. Chris Kreider with the boarding. He gets the game misconduct. Then John Moore with the elbow. He's probably going to get suspended because he has a history. We lost him in the, in the playoffs last year against the Canadians. Um, but he gets a match penalty, and he's gone for the game in the second. God, I would have loved to be been a fly in that locker room because that was probably, you know, Herb Brooks esque <laughs> from Miracle. Wouldn't you? There are people worse. that you'd like to put into that room. I'd like to see, uh, you know, nothing against him, but I would like to see Joe Girardi in that room. I think Rex Ryan could have benefited from being in that room. We'd all like to be a fly on the wall because whether it was player leadership or AV or a combination of both, or whether AV raised his voice or you know, kind of killed them softly. Whatever the whatever was done in that locker room is how change is made on the fly in sports. What needs to happen? You have to be, you know this, you have to be a psychologist. If you're a head coach, you have to know. Vigneault's dealing with, what, 20 players, 25 players, give or take. Okay, he's got to know each and every personality in that locker room. He's got to know where the buttons are and how to push them. And I don't know how he did it, but he did it between the second and third periods. Rex Ryan, they're saying if he puts Gino out there again, he's going to lose the locker room. Between you and me and everybody listening, I think he's already lost the locker room. I do. Like how everything goes back to the Jets. But, <laughs> but I'm serious. Do, do you think he still has that locker room? I mean, I don't have my finger on the pulse necessarily. Neither do I. But I, I, I don't I'm think I don't know if the, how there's any way that that locker room is in any way, uh, I don't know, united? Organized? No way. Under a coach? No way. I mean, it, it just gets to a point. They say it all the time. Listen to Ron Gardenhire when he left. They needed a new voice. He knew that. He was there for 14, 13, 14 years. He knew it was time. And he said it on his way out. He said, it's the time. They need to hear somebody else. And I think the Jets, you know, the guys who have been there and the new guys, the guys who have been there are probably done with them. You know, it's just like, all right, we get it. But. I think, like I said, if you take the hard knocks, when the Jets were on hard knocks, okay, that was Rex in all of his glory. Is he like that anymore? So the players see that. The players maybe think he's a lame duck coach. Yeah. You know, throw your arms up. We're one and seven. What different? You could start Doug Williams or Chris Sheeran at quarterback. It's not going to matter. It's not. You think Michael Vick is going to run off and win eight straight games? If you believe that, I got a bridge for you to buy. It's not going to happen. No way. Does he give you a better chance to win than Geno Smith? Huh. Yeah. But, but at this point, throw Matt Sims in there because he can't do any worse than these guys. Right. He and, can't. And another way that the comparison between the Rangers and the Jets works, Chris, is that one of the things that Elaine Vigneault does a lot and that he's done this year, including, is he doesn't necessarily – he has talent and he has effort, and there are a few uh, lucky guys who have both, right? But they have this kid, J.T. Miller, who's been a star, and I mentioned him earlier, and, and A.V. kind of said he stinks. Um, he sent J.T. Miller down and brought up this guy, uh, Mueller who has been terrific, uh, AHL lifer, guy who's been working his butt off to get to the pros. And that is going to give your team a jolt. That is the kind of guy that every game is playing for his life, being like, I need to play well to stay here. What did Terry Bradshaw say? Yeah, it's the same thing. Miller's full of talent. 
Yep. But this kid or this guy Mueller comes up and he knows he's got to be, you know what, to the wall every single game if he wants to keep that Rangers jersey. So, yeah, if I'm Rex Ryan, why not Sims? Because he's been on waivers. He's on a practice squad. He's hanging by a thread. Maybe he'll go out there and put his life on the line. That is certainly not what Geno Smith and Michael Vick are doing. Michael Vick even admitted that he wasn't even ready to come Ugh. in that one game. San so, Diego. Or – you know, if it's not Sims, if you find out that he really isn't good enough, see who's available, who who has fallen out of the league, who has nothing left on their plate. Give him a chance. Honestly, effort. Yeah, that's what it comes down to. And uh, this comes down to this podcast, that is, comes down to our final thoughts. I just I can't talk about the Jets anymore. It was good talking about the Rangers, especially that comeback win, but I just can't do it. I, I, we have to move on. So, Doug, you're up first. Hit me. Yeah, it's the last week of my um... – well, maybe, but we got the Yankees uh, uh, kind of off-season coverage we're doing on YesNetwork.com, and, and this one is about a kid who I think should make a difference for the Yankees next season. Um, nothing gets the attention of an organization quite like a young player that succeeds at every level. Rob Snyder has done exactly that for the Yankees. That's why, come April of 2015, he should be the starting second baseman in the Bronx. The 23-year-old prospect spent time at AA Trenton and AAA scranton Wilkesbury last season. In Trenton, he hit 342 with six home runs, 30 RBIs, and 60 games. When he was called up to Scranton, the production only increased. He finished at 300 with eight homers and 33 RBIs. That's a combined offensive line of 318 with 14 homers and 63 RBI and 100. 37 games why not give him a shot it's not like he'd be skipping a level while his success has accelerated his progression certainly he's still he's still seen the pitching at every level and has adjusted and improved along the way for those of you who are wondering why i'm not suggesting martin prado start for the yankees Here's what I wrote previously about Prado's role for the Yankees. It's hard not to be a fan of this guy. He can play multiple positions as a solid leader in the clubhouse and came into New York during a wildcard race and hit 316 for the Bombers last season. The key with Prado, though, is that versatility. And to waste that skill would be a mistake. With aging players like Rodriguez, Beltran, and Teixeira in your lineup, Joe Girardi may very well need Prado to play a different position almost every night. Prado's used to that and will understand that being a utility guy is not a demotion by any means, but on a team like the Yankees, having a guy as talented as Prado be able to move all around the field would be a luxury for Joe Girardi. In the article that excerpt, excerpt was taken from, I was explaining why I didn't think Prado should start at third base, and the same sentiment rings true at second. Prado will likely play almost every day for the 2015 Yankees, but let the older roster dictate where you pencil him in on a game-by-game -game basis. Amidst the Kevin Long hoopla two weeks ago, Brian Cashman mentioned that he's indeed going to consider Perella and Ref Snyder at second base. While I do believe Ref Snyder is the better candidate, they should both be considered for the job. Jose Perella spent the majority of 2014 in Scranton. Like Prado, though, Perella can play multiple positions, and part of the reason Ref Snyder playing second base every day makes sense is to give him reps at a position he's continuing to learn. There's not much on the free agent market to turn to, which makes this decision a little easier on Brian Cashman and Joe Girardi. Not to mention that the Yankees will have plenty of flexibility should either Perella or Ref Snyder look overmatched at the big league level. They'll most likely have Brendan Ryan on the bench, who can play shortstop or second, and if they sign as Drupal Cabrera or Jed Lowry to start at short, they can both play some second base as well. Add Prado into that mix, and Joe Girardi has plenty of insurance should the youngsters not be ready. Excellent job, my friend. I hope to see Rev Snyder up and playing second base as well, and your point was uh, right, on, right on the money, nail on the head. I think Prado is definitely 
uh, more valuable to Joe Girardi as a utility player, and he's got to see that. I mean, that's been his job. He's got to see that as not a demotion. Right. He has that skill. Why not use You're it? You're absolutely right. Thank All you. All right. Mine's on the University of North Carolina and the scandal that came up last week. Uh, the University of North Carolina, it's one of the cornerstone basketball programs of the ACC, if not the entire field of college teams. Along with Duke, NC State, and Wake Forest, it's a prominent stop on Tobacco Road. You know the old saying, where there's smoke, there's fire? According to university learning specialist Mary Willingham, there's been enough secondhand smoke from a blaze of academic injustice on Tobacco Road to suffocate the healthiest lungs on the planet. The injustice, you ask? A 131-page report ordered by school chancellor Carol Fault and done by Kenneth Weinstein, a former federal prosecutor, found that from 1993 to 2011, the school had a system in place that allowed students to get grades for papers they didn't write and from classes they didn't attend. The report said that in the 18 years, an estimated 3,100 students were participants and 47.6% of those students were athletes. It allegedly happened from 93 through 2011, 18 years. That's ironic. It's basically the same age you can be one and done in the world of NCAA basketball and on your way to greener pastures. I'm not talking about living on a farm, green acre style either. I'm talking about making dead presidents rain out of your hands from fat NBA contracts. If your first thought is to look at this with incredulity, I have a bridge to sell you. In my humble opinion, do I think this is the only place these types of transgressions allegedly took place? Uh, You'll have to excuse me while I take a laugh break. (laughs) Hold on. (laughs) Almost done. That felt good. As As defense can quickly turn to offense in basketball, my jocular mood on this subject is quickly turning to anger. I was a mediocre athlete at best in high school. I was averaging about everything I did. If I concentrated on baseball, could I have had a bit of success at least at the college level? I think so, yes. My grades in high school weren't nearly good enough to get me any financial help with an academic scholarship, so I relied completely on student loans to get me through my four and a half years. Once I graduated, I had a six-month grace period before I had to start paying back the loan with interest. Now, being the first one in my family with a shot at graduating from college, I decided to concentrate on my studies at the next level. Seven out of my last nine semesters, I made the dean's list. I had the heart, drive, and passion that any athlete has on the field but focused it in the classroom. That isn't rewarded while a student is in college, though. There isn't anyone out there like Jay Billis saying that a student who works hard at his or her studies should be receiving a check for their hard work. No, he reserves that for athletes who bring money into the university with their stellar performances on the field, court, ice, etc. I used to side with Mr. Billis. That is until I found out about this chicanery going on at UNC. Oh, alleged chicanery. So you want to give me an athlete who is already getting a free ride, a separate check, when he or she isn't writing their papers or going to class for that matter? That's completely fair to kids who can't afford school and end up paying for it, plus interest for 11 years after they graduate, living on a credit card with 23% interest just to pay bills and get by and put themselves into further debt. Makes complete sense. Total and unequivocal. Let's get back to Tobacco Road for a second. Remember those 18 years? Not going to class, not writing papers, just refreshing your memory a bit. I left something out. Just like the several football coaches had no clue what was going on in their own locker room, Roy Williams, the head coach of the storied basketball team, was dumbfounded. There's a part of me that wants to believe him, but most of me thinks this was used as a recruiting tool. Think about it for a second. You're competing for recruits with Duke, which is just a mere 29.1 miles north of your campus and other schools in the area and around the country. Wouldn't you think it would be a big-time selling point for kids who are thinking about the one-and-done thing, which is ridiculous in its own right, which has been around since 2006? Wait, you're saying I'm only coming for one year? I can play ball, people will write my papers, and I don't have to go to class? Where do I sign that letter of intent? 
end scene. It's extremely attractive for kids going for four years, too. Think about that. They could be on cruise control for four years, get a degree. Something that us normal people have to, I don't know, work hard to earn. I want an amendment to the one and done rule, too. When these guys go to the NBA after one year, they are not allowed to have a college attached to their names when being introduced or on the team website. I can visit the White House, but I can't put that I was the president of the United States in my bio. If they finish school of their own volition at a further point, fine. Until then, their high school, the last place they graduated from, that should be mentioned. Back to UNC. Remember 1993 to 2011, a lot happened with the basketball team over those 18 years. They won three national championships, 1993, 2005, 2009 to be exact. It's going to be extremely interesting to see what penalties are handed down by the NCAA. Ah, the NCAA. Punishing North Carolina? Surely you can't be serious. I am serious, and don't call me Shirley. I'm not expecting anything too harsh, a slap on the wrist perhaps. Taking out one of your breadwinners is not good for business. Far Gump, take it away. That's all I have to say about that. And that's going to wrap up the Chris Sheeran Show for this week. For Doug Williams, I'm Chris Sheeran. We'll see you next week. Same bat time. Same bat channel.